Matthew's gospel tends to be more thematic than chronological. And as we just finished the theme of the Sermon on the Mount, we now come to this, the theme of chapter 8, the first part of it is demonstrating and showing as Jesus is early on in his earthly ministry, presenting himself as the Messiah of Israel, that he's the promised one and that he is the healer. So tonight, all of our passages, what they have in common is, is Jesus is healing people. And as we go through this, you'll see the healings are just varied how the circumstances are. Three of the four involve individual people. Some just involves him speaking. Some involve him just touching and speaking. Some he just does it without a request. So we get a lot of variation. And tonight we're going to focus on the three that deal with individual contact with individuals and those circumstances and things we can receive and grow from as we look at that tonight. So we'll read verses 1 through 17, and then we'll focus on those three, the leper, the centurion, and Peter's mother-in-law. So we pick it up here in verse 1. When he, Jesus, had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you tell no one, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion, that's a Roman soldier who's over 100 soldiers, obviously a non-Jew, came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. Now, when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that very hour. Now, when Jesus had come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother lying sick with a fever. So he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose and served them. And when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with the word and healed all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. So that's our text tonight. And as I mentioned, four healing stories, three focused on individuals and unique. But the summary, verse 17, really brings it all together because it quotes Isaiah 53, verse 4. And Isaiah 53, many of you know, is a very famous passage, prophetically speaking of Jesus on the cross, by his stripes were healed. Isaiah 53 is quoted in other parts of the New Testament. Isaiah prophesied these things of Jesus like 750 years before he came into the world. And so powerful are these prophecies of Isaiah that 
until Israel became a nation in 1948, the so-called scholars rejected the prophecy fulfillments of Isaiah because they're just too accurate, and they felt it was impossible for them to be written before the time of Christ, and so they uh, speculated for centuries, those who criticize and attack the Bible to their own folly and foolishness, that it's just too accurate that they, these could have been written before, but they were the Isaiah text had to be after the fact. But if you know, when Israel became a nation in 1948, in God's divine providence of events that still affect us today, the shepherds found the Dead Sea Scrolls. In 1948, the same year, they, under UN mandate, they became a nation. And the gift that God gave Israel in the rebirth of their nation after almost 2,000 years was the Dead Sea Scrolls. And the Dead Sea Scrolls includes the entire book of Isaiah. The entire book of Isaiah. As you see it in your Old Testament. And the, the fascinating thing is, the accuracy is incredible. It's, it's, it shows the reliability of our Old Testament that the Jewish scribes have given us for thousands of years. And with carbon-14 dating and all the things that any secular humanist who rejects the Bible has to agree are reliable for dating, the Dead Sea Scrolls predate the time of Christ by at least 300 years. Isn't that amazing? So when Matthew quotes Isaiah here, in the context of his timeline, writing probably about 40 A.D., maybe 10 years after the time of Christ, he's just, he's just saying what it is. These were prophetically spoken and fulfilled. And so I just bring that up tonight because it's important to realize we might lose the significance of the prophecies, but when Matthew's led by the Holy Spirit to, to point to Isaiah 53 and say, this is Jesus Christ, the Messiah of Israel, and he's fulfilling this right here in these events that we're reading about, thematically put together right here, it should get our attention and build up our faith. Because we know that God tells us the future before it happens, and that's how he proves who he is. And Jesus doing these things in this record is proof of what was spoken and fulfillment of what was spoken by Isaiah the prophet 750 years before the time that Christ came. And that's very noteworthy to us. So he, we could just read this text and say, wow. And if it didn't quote Isaiah 53, we'd be like, well, Jesus did it, and we believe it. But this is the prophetic power spoken beforehand to tell us that he would do it. And so that's important to our context tonight. He did these healings. He did them with variation, no pattern. But the commonality of all of them is total, complete healing in the context of which they happened. Of course, eventually all these people got sick and died in the human experience, right? Like the leper didn't live forever. Like all of us, by the time he was 90, he looked like he was 90 if he lived to 90. The same with uh, the centurion's servant. The same with Peter's mother-in-law. The same with the people where it says all were healed. Not most. It says that in this particular healing, all were healed. All those people healed that went home healed that next morning, Sooner or later, they all stepped into eternity. And in most cases, they had some kind of a uh, sickness or whatever that affected them. Which shows us that as wonderful as temporal healings are, and as important as they are, and they are a testimony of Christ working in the hearts of men and women in every generation, he does, have, he does supernaturally heal in some cases. Obviously, we know not in all cases. But even in the cases where he has supernaturally healed, Sooner or later, it's not like we live forever. So the healings serve a purpose in their context and time for the individuals who receive healing as it was for them as it is for us tonight in, in the church history and who we are right now in church timeline. 
But ultimately, all those physical healings really have behind them, of course, the spiritual healing. That's really the bigger picture. That death, physical death is a result of sin. And Christ bore our sins upon the cross. And he heals us from our sins and the consequences of our sins. And though we have to die physically, we know that when we come to Christ, we're made alive spiritually. And we know that he gives us abundant life. And we know that we have eternal life living in us right now. And the hope of heaven, Christ in us, the hope of glory, if we've given our life to Christ and received Christ and been born of the Spirit. So our ultimate healing, as it says, well, Corinthians says it so well, though the outward man or outward woman is perishing, the inward woman, inward man is being renewed daily. And we're going from glory to glory as in a, in a mirror. So we can just keep getting older and older and looking older and older, but, and that's a result of sin, and we might have all kinds of physical infirmities down the stretch. There are people in this church who have cancer. There are people in this church who are fighting all kinds of chronic sicknesses. We've, people we have loved in this church in the last 18 years have had sicknesses, and we watch them suffer and die and step into eternity. We've spoken kind and encouraging words for them before they did. We've stood outside hospital rooms and waved to them during COVID saying we love them. And some of you women know exactly what I'm talking about. And though maybe we attended their memorials or even their graveside, we know that ultimately they went to glory. And that's why 1 Corinthians says that in Christ all are made alive and we're going to be, we're, this, we're part of that resurrection with Jesus and this mortal does put on immortality. This corruptible does put on incorruptibility. The commonality of these people in this story is the corruptibility of human flesh and the human experience. And the commonality is that, that Jesus healed them all of their physical infirmities in the context of their life at that time. But we also know they all stepped into eternity. So we don't know how they did or what faced them or, or what they had to face when that happened. There's a lot of people that love Jesus in the medieval times, and 80% of Europe died during the bubonic plague. They had to face death with their faith. Whether they're Catholics or Lutherans or Calvinists or Reformed or Russian Orthodox or whatever. This is human history for the church. I've seen many healings in my time. I have. Not nearly as many as I would have wanted to see. But I've seen God do some pretty absolutely miraculous things, and I would think you have too. I would hope you have, and the longer you walk with the Lord. A.B. Simpson, the famous preacher who started the Mission Alliance churches, been going about 150 years now, that ministry, that denomination, very mission-minded Mission Alliance churches. His, his calling card is that God always heals. He believed that God could heal anyone if they believed not. He didn't believe you'd live forever, but he, he really believed in the power of healing, and that was all those people that went out with the Mission Alliance in the late 1800s, early 1900s in the mission field, they believed God would heal. And they went to these countries preaching Christ, believing he would heal, and they, people did get healed, and people did get saved, and the church expanded under the ministry. So I would say this, it's really important when we think about physical healing that we believe God can do it, and he certainly can, and this text should encourage us that. But even if he doesn't, let it be his choice not to, but let it not be because we didn't believe he couldn't. So now let's look at these three people in that biblical context for New Testament believers for healing. The leper is the first one. Now, his healing is kind of unique because leprosy is also affiliated with defilement. So it's not just being sick, but it's a sickness that represents like the consequence of sin. And in that culture, leprosy was just the worst. And you can look at, you know, we have the extra biblical 
writings of the rabbis, rabbinical writings, where they talk about you got to walk 60 feet beside, you know, past them on a downwind on a Santa Ana day and, you know, Galilee or whatever. And they had all these little rules about lepers, and that's why you have the leper colonies and all those kind of things. And leprosy is a long, slow death. You get the numbness, and then the flesh eats itself, and then you get the, you know, you get this stuff going. And it's just, it's, it's horrible. If you've ever watched anyone die of Lou Gehrig's disease, which I have, or how lupus can be, like we've seen with our beloved Christy Estes and what she went through, or MS, multiple sclerosis, and how that affects people. And you see, like, how maybe over years, a debilitated, it's, it's, man, it's hard. Leprosy was like that. But in the case, unlike in our society with, say, Lou Gehrig's disease or MS and these things, in their society, you're immediately ostracized because it was associated with being outside of God's favor, that God was actually against you. Now, there would be people who think God's against you if you have Lou Gehrig's disease. There would be people that think that way. Because some people just think that way, and you can't change their thinking. That's just, people are just going to, some people don't like Christmas lights because they think the bad things about Christmas lights. You, know, you can't help them, right? What are you going to do? Like, I don't know, like your neighbor's like, oh, okay, whatever, you know, good luck with that, you know? When is worth it? So people are going to think what they want to think. But for sure, in the context of this text, this guy's, we can presume he's an Israelite, a son of the covenant, a son of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, if you will, one of the 12 tribes, and he's been ostracized. His, it's a curse for his parents. It's a curse for his adult siblings. When they fight over this state, they're not even worried about him. He's disqualified. He's going to asterisk. He's not even in the courtroom fighting for, over the trust. He's not even a factor. He lives in the Valley of the Lepers, like in Ben-Hur, you know, like just the worst thing ever. If you know what I'm talking about, the movie Ben-Hur and all the, the whole Valley of the Lepers there, that famous movie. That's what it's like for him. But at some point in his life, he heard about Jesus. And at some point in his life, he, he believed, he believed that Jesus could heal him. Now, there's no record of anyone ever healing a leper in the Old Testament. Well, well Naaman was healed through the spoken word of uh, Elisha to dip in the water seven times. But but not like in the way that it happened and was described in the law. Because when God gave Moses the law, he said, when a leper is cleansed, this is what you're going to do. You're going to bring the turtle dove, the blood, and, the, and, all, and you're going to have a testimony that this person, A, had leprosy, B, was completely healed, and we prove it, and now they're reestablished in the society, and they're no longer contagious, if you will, or a contagion with leprosy, because leprosy is contagious. And after what we've been through with COVID, we can all relate to what that's like. Traveling, you know, in the last two weeks, twice, particularly coming through Orlando yesterday. Man, people are sick in California every December, aren't they, right? You school teachers. I mean, people are sick. People are coughing tonight. I need to cough. I've got a tickle in my throat right now. I'm just saying, no, not right now. Um, People are coughing in Florida. People are sick in Florida. And it's just, what do you do? People get sick. And, but this leper, my point being with the leper is that it represented defilement for him. And he's just, he's just not in the mix. But he believed, somehow he believed that Jesus could heal him. And he found the faith and the courage to find Jesus and approach Jesus. And he came in humility and he said, Lord, if you are willing. <laughs> I mean, haven't we all prayed, Lord, if you're willing, I'd like to get this job. Lord, if you're willing, let them fall in love with me. Lord, if you're willing, 
you know, let them give me an increase in the estate. You know, Lord, if you're willing, just remove all these people from political power. You know, like all the things that you could say, Lord, if you're willing, Lord, if you're willing, right? Lord, if you're willing, could you just get rid of this neighborhood? And they're praying the same thing against you, right? Like, Lord, if you're willing. But this is that defilement that so people just didn't see him as being sick, but as being cursed by God. And it was just an ostr- being ostracized from society. Uh, you know, it's, it'd just be so, it'd be so hard. Like, I, it'd just be so hard. Remember when you had COVID, the worst thing you could be is being in line at the bank and suddenly you have to start to sneeze. Oh, my mask, my mask, where's my mask? You know, like, like we all know what it's like, the looks you get. Could you imagine that? Every day. And he came to Jesus, and he said, if you're willing. And Jesus said, I am willing. Now, as I said, there was no record of the biblical pattern for healing according to the law of Moses from the Old Testament in the Old Testament. But now Jesus does this to show that he is a, he's, he's the Lord who heals according to the law, really above the law, because he's the God who gave the law. And so he says, I am willing, and he does what you would never do. He touches the leper. Now, he didn't have to touch the leper. He could have just spoken I am willing, because we're told in the law not to touch a leper. Remember when we went through Leviticus outdoors during COVID? Helicopters, wind, loud motorcycles. Remember that? Remember when we did that? I'll never forget it. But when we went through Leviticus there, you don't touch a leper. They have to be declared clean. And you, you test their leprosy, seven days it's this, seven days it's that. But you never touch the leper. The only thing worse than touching a leper in the Old Testament is touching a dead body. But Jesus touches the leper and says, I am willing, and he heals him. So he didn't have to say, he didn't just say, I am willing, or he could have said, be healed, but he touches him. Which just reminds us that Jesus cleanses, he doesn't defile. We're defiled, he cleanses. And when he's working in our life, we become the hands and feet of Jesus that we bring that type of healing power to the places and the people and the circumstances we're in. We can elevate the place. We can go into defiled places, but the Christ in us, hope of glory, we, we bring a cleansing element to it. We elevate. The church always elevates where it goes. When the gospel reaches a village, no matter where it is in the world, in human history, if that village is, if Christ comes to that village, and it could be in Sudan right now, with like Susie Cuse and her ministry and what she's doing that we've supported. Just wherever the gospel really goes, it, it elevates and it, it lifts up. It doesn't defile. Now, some world religions, they terrify a village and they defile. The name of some people bring terror. Stalin to Ukraine in the 20s and the 30s, the Ukrainian famines and when he took all the food, the very name of Stalin bring terror to your village. But the name of Jesus... He touches what's defiled, and he heals and elevates. Isn't that a beautiful legacy? There's no world religion that does that, because there's no rules that do that. There's no regulation or philosophies or pseudosciences that do that. Only Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, does that. I am willing. He's willing. He wants to cleanse us from our sins and the consequences of our sins. Communion tonight. He is willing, and not just willing, He's not afraid to associate with us. He'll touch us. He touches us in our defilement, and he, he, he lifts us up. Praise the Lord. That's a beautiful thing. But the leper worshiped him. That word for worship is worship. It can't be misunderstood. It's used in the context of worshiping deities or 
gods of any sort. He worshiped Jesus. There's a lot of healthy people in Israel that were not worshiping Jesus right now. He's worshiping Jesus. And Jesus says, I'm willing, touches him, cleanses him, and heals him. But he says, go present yourself as a testimony to the priest. And this is what was in the law of Moses in the Old Testament, that it would, it would show that you're clean. And so his testimony would, would confirm that Jesus is over the defilement of leprosy and capable of healing the actual disease of leprosy, because it's like the two in one, as I said. We know in Mark's account, he didn't go straight to the, he went and told everybody, man, I've been healed, which we can kind of understand. But when he was healed and cleansed, because the word is cleansed with the leprosy, not just healed, but cleansed, man, it was, it was to glorify Christ and testify of Christ, which before we move on, just reminds us that when Jesus is working in our life, Jesus touches us, Jesus heals us and does great things to cleanse us and deliver us. It's for a testimony. The touch of Christ upon our life is for a testimony. Now, a physical healing is, is a testimony. Like, you, you know, if you've been healed, you can testify of that. Particularly, like, if you had cancer and you're, you know, healed from cancer and, you know, it was this and then it's, <clears throat> and then it's that, it's, it's going to be a testimony. But ultimately, because uh, leprosy signifies sin, it's as much of a testimony of deliverance from sin and its effect on your life as it would be for a physical healing of, say, lupus, Right? So when people see that you're no longer in bondage to sin, or see we're no longer in bondage to sin, the things you're obviously in bondage to, it's a beautiful thing. People like my sister at Calvary Chapel Vero Beach, she's exhibit A, that you can be delivered from drugs and alcohol. That you can live on the street for six years out of your mind from drugs and alcohol, surrender your life to Christ, and be sober now for six years, and be a healthy, thriving person in your church, with friends, in your community, in your workplace. Her, her testimony is a part, you know, there's homeless people in Vero Beach too. There, I mean, you, surely, you know, there's homeless people over America, right? And there's, there's homeless people in Florida. And I was visiting someone yesterday who I coached on the U.S. surf team, adaptive team, and he's got a couple Airbnbs in Bureau, and they're from Pismo originally, but his brother, who had been on the streets with drugs and alcohol, is living in one of the Airbnb units. And I saw, hey, who's that in your backyard? He's like, well, that's my brother. He's been sober and clean for like a year and a half now. He gave his life to the Lord, and, you know, we're helping him on his journey, and he's here, and praise the Lord. That's the testimony. We want the testimony to keep going forward. We want the testimony to keep going forward. As you think of December and wrapping up 2023, think about the testimony of who you are, the product you are in the human experience for your life at the end of 2023. And like I said, if you can be a better version of you at the end of the year than the start of the year, you're going in the right direction always. Because it's always forward with the Lord. Forward, onward, and upward. So that testimony is a changed person. Now in the context of changed person from the sickness and the defilement to a cleansed person, and a healing, but really with the leper, it's going to be the spiritual. And that's something we can look at. We want to be a changed person. I evaluate myself during the month. I have things I keep track of every day. Like I, you know, I'm getting to bed at this time. I'm improving my sleep pattern. I'm, 
I'm spending this, this is what I'm doing every day with the word of God. This is what I'm doing, you know, that's how I work. We're all different. That's how I work. And I like to give little rewards, like, you know, your little things in your phone, checks for this, gold medal for that, and the trophy for that. Yeah, I got, and I get silver and bronze sometimes too. I got the miscellaneous daily things, and there's five of them, and if I get three of them, I get a bronze, and I get two, uh, you know, four of them, I get it silver, and if I get all of them, that's gold. I like gold. It motivates me to, fin to, to do this at seven o'clock, and like, we're all wired differently, but I, I want a better version, and I, I tend to be hard on myself. And when you're by yourself for a week and a half, you can be self-reflective and, and take inventory. I would encourage all of you to take inventory before the year's done. Busy, busy, busy. Make some time to really take inventory and say, hey, am I, am I, am I going forward? Do I have vision? Do I have goals? Am I going forward? And can people see that I'm cleansed? Is there a testimony that I've been cleansed? Or am I just someone like a bird talking about Jesus? Or am I a transformed human being demonstrating Jesus? Now, the second one is the centurion who really cared about someone. So this is a Roman centurion with a Jewish servant, presumably, and he, he cares about this person. Now, this is a desperate situation. This is desperate. This is really sick. There's three words that go together here that I don't like any of them. Paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. I think I speak for all of us. You put any of those three words with your life, you're not, no. Right when I was turning the corner from the fallout, from the anesthesia and the effects in my lungs and how, oh, it was horrible, how I felt, how it messed up my whole body. And I had to get the violent stomach flu. It felt like COVID. I had like a COVID headache. If you know the COVID headache, yes and amen. You know the COVID headache. It was like a COVID headache. And I had this thing going through me, like just, it just, it just destroyed me for 24 hours. And it was dreadful. That's, you know, stomach flu is just dreadful. I'm like, you know, I can barely do this for 24 hours. The dogs are, the dogs are howling. They're running. Every, like, Jennifer's like, oh, it's just, I'm the worst. My dad used to say I'm the sickest sick person he ever knew. <laughs> no one does sickness like his middle son, Joe. Oh, Joe, you're the sickest sick person I've ever known. Like, but it was just the worst. I'm like, I, I, don't, I can't do this for more than a day. Like, God, take my life if it's going to go to 72 hours with this. I can't do this. My, my pain tolerance is low. My wife's just like three months into it, like, Lord, please relieve me. You know, like my wife has a high pain tolerance. I'm like, this is taking my life. <laughs> so when you see these words, <laughs> paralyzed, dreadfully tormented, this isn't someone, this isn't just a flu. or, or this, is, this is a very painful sickness. And like we say, you don't know how much you value your health until you don't have it. This is what older people tell younger people. Or you don't, value how great it is to wake up pain-free unless you wake up for a series of time in severe pain with an ailment that's painful. Remember when Jeff Anderson's back was out here a few months ago? You could just see how much excruciating pain he was in that sciatica. When it goes this way, it starts going down your leg, and then it's in your calf. Man, that's like right up there on severe pain if you don't know it. It's, sciatica will have you crying for mercy if you've never felt that nerve pain. So all that to say, it's like, this was a serious situation. And the, the centurion's request, he was empathetic for his servant. So you got to appreciate that. He's empathetic for his servant. He, he cares about someone. That's got to be worth something with the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Because most people tend to think of ourselves first. We were getting off the plane last night at LAX, and I'm here, and Lee and the kids are over there. You know, we're, 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 
we're coming in JetBlue. We came in this side. We got over here. Tom Bradley got to take the bus to go over there. And these people behind us just like, it's charging through. I'm like, really? Like, normally I wouldn't say anything, but I've been traveling all day, and it's been a long 10 days. I'm like, really? Like, really? And the girl in front of me goes, you talking to me? No, I'm talking to them. Like, there's little kids right here, and they just go plowing through. You know how foolish they looked when we got stood next to them to get on the same bus they're getting on? Like, gosh, we tend to think of ourselves. All you have to do is fly on a plane. And see how fast. That's always like a two and a half hour layover. So I don't have to be the person running by everybody going like this, trying to get off the plane. We tend to think of ourselves. The centurion's thinking of this guy who's paralyzed and in the severe pain. Paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. Tormented, that's such a terrifying word. Dreadfully tormented. That's our context. He's in pain. And this centurion feels so helpless and he cares about this person. And what, how many Romans care about Jews? How many people in the world care about Jews right now? Anti-Semitism has been there all along because the Jews gave us the word, the Jews gave us the Messiah, and the Jews give us the end of the world when the Messiah comes back. This Roman centurion cared about his servant and came to Jesus. And he said the profound words, I'm in authority, you're in authority. It's, it, your authority is established. You just say, this, I say this, they do this. You say that, it happens that way. And Jesus said, I've not seen such faith in all of Israel. So for us as believers in 2023, this text should get our attention. When Jesus says, I've not seen such faith in all of Israel, well, now hang on. And before we're done with this chapter next week, Jesus is going to say to the apostles, oh, you of little faith. <laughs> He's going to say, oh, you of little faith. And we, this chapter gives a contrast. A centurion with a hundred soldiers underneath them. Jesus says, I've never seen such great faith in all of Israel. And the ones he picked to run the church to get the whole thing kingdom going to this day, he says to them, panicking on their boat, oh, you of little faith. So it should get our attention when Jesus says, great faith. This great faith was based upon empathetic concern for someone who worked for him. Not someone over him, not a have to, but a get to. And he sincerely cared about, it's the empathy of humanity. And without faith in Jesus, there's still plenty of empathy in humanity that people have. Because it's part of the, how God made us in his image. There's something in us that wants us to be empathetic and sympathetic to injustices, or should be. And if you don't suppress it, it'll, it'll work well for you. But it illuminates when Christ comes into your life, for sure. Man, this centurion's awesome. But what's fascinating is he's a Gentile. And to know how serious it is that a Gentile is approaching Jesus is all you have to do is go to Acts chapter 10 years later when Peter goes to the other centurion's house, Cornelius, to preach the gospel to these Gentiles. And he said, when he walked in the house, he goes, you know, I would never come in your house because it's something a Jew never does. Never, never, never. But the Holy Spirit told me to go doubting nothing. And he showed me the unclean animals from the Old Testament and said, eat them three times. So you equal the unclean animal. No offense. But that which was unclean, God says is no longer unclean and the gospel is not for you. But you know, for me to come in your house, do you know what a, what a social barrier that is to do that? That's years later. Jesus was going to go to his house. Jesus said, I'll go to your house. I love that about Jesus. You know, he just, just 
All those things that we get weird about, he's like going right through it. He's going right through the Christmas trees. All the things we get weird about. But people get weird about Christmas trees and Santa Claus, whatever. It's like, oh, you know, like, ah, don't be weird. Don't be that person. Just don't be that person. Jesus, does God care about the Christmas tree or the heart of the person who's standing next to the tree? It's that simple. It's, it's that simple. Major and majors and minor and minors. I love Christmas trees. I even love Santa Claus now. When Anna was two years old, she still talks about it. First time she said, I was like, you don't even know how legalistic I was in the early 90s. But we're at the shopping mall in Chesapeake. And Hannah was two. And she had never heard of seeing Santa Claus ever. I'd, I'd kept Santa Claus under wraps for two years. And we're at the mall. And she sees the Santa Claus at the mall. And she goes, Daddy, who is that man? I said, a very bad man. Thank you, Lord, that I lived to make it 62. <laughs> that wasn't the end of me at 32. Um, hey, he is who he is. He is what he is. And Jesus is who he is, and he is who he is and does what he does. And as long as you understand the difference of the two, then, yeah, fair enough, right? The fascinating thing in this story, apart from the things I've already pointed out, but the most fascinating thing, as I said earlier, is that Jesus said he's not seen such great faith. Jesus was going to go to the Gentiles' house and break all the rules of the religious because he's above it all. And he's got a plan for the Gentiles, as the Old Testament confirms time and time again, not the least of which, the prophet Isaiah. But the man says, you don't even need to do that. I'm, I'm nobody. You're everybody. You're it. You're that, and I'm not. Just say it. Just say it. Just speak it. So he touched the leper, now, this guy's going like, hey, I, I don't know the Torah. I don't know anything about Moses and this and that and everything else or burning bush, whatever, Pharaoh, like the plagues. I'm just telling you, I know if you speak it, it'll be that way. You don't even need to come to my house. You just say it, it'll be done. He was under Caesar, and Caesar says this, and you do that. And he's like, he's putting Jesus above Caesar, really. You just say, he's because Caesar, he could have been before Caesar, his ultimate boss. And Caesar can't guarantee him he's going to heal the person who's paralyzed and dreadfully tormented. But he knows Jesus can, this rabbi in Israel. You just do it. And Jesus did it. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus said, go your way in the measure you believe it has been done for you. Now, that's a hard one to fully understand theologically. But if you keep it simple, it's powerful. It goes back to, as you sow, you shall reap. In the measure you believed, this is Jesus. It's red letters. Go your way, verse 13, go your way, and as you have believed, so it will be done for you. And a servant was healed that hour. And this is why I say, time and time again, if you sit with me for a year going through the Bible, it's much better to believe God for great things than not. And it's far better to see big God and little problems than little God and big problems. And it's much better to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who say, our God is able to deliver us from the fire, but even if he doesn't, just know we're never going to bow down to you. It is much better to live your life that way in expectation, in optimism, with a positive attitude of faith in who God is and the kingdom of light and light and justice and eternity and the glory to come than not. 
Those are the people that change the world. Those are the people who just, why do some people just seem to have the double blessing? Why do some people seem to prosper with what they do? Because they believe that God is able. And they're motivated with the belief and the power of God, not for selfish temporal things that come and go, like we already studied in the Sermon on the Mount, but for other people. Uh, empathy, compassion. When we're believing God for the interest of the kingdom of God, the work of God, the will of God, and the, the people God wants to move in their life, it's, it's a great thing. He is willing. Now, he doesn't always do what we want him to do. We understand that. Oh, do we understand that from 35 years of being a minister? But I like to think where I've had to really deal with grievous and heavy and difficult things, that how they played out, I was at peace with it because I knew God ultimately is in control. And I can't think of too many times where I walked away from a situation not believing that God could turn that situation around. I, I want to believe to the last minute that God can raise someone from the dead. I do. That, that's, that's, that's the scriptures of the New Testament. To, the book of Acts doesn't say, oh, dumb, dumb down God, dumb down your faith. No, the book of Acts and the New Testament and the entire scriptures say, believe. And Jesus says, in the measure you believe, it has come back to you. So I just remind us as we're finishing up this year, believe big for God. Believe big for God, for, for the kingdom of God, for the people of God, and future people of God. Walk away from those difficult situations. Get off your knees after praying, believing that God can do it. And live with those results, having peace, knowing that God is in control to close doors, open doors, and we're all going to step into eternity. And if it's someone's time, it's their time. But if it's not, then let them raise them up. Which brings us to the third person. Peter's mother-in-law. Now, this is a short text, and it says that there's no request. So this is different. See, no one said, Peter didn't go, hey, could you heal my mother-in-law? Peter's wife didn't come out, oh, Rabbi Jesus, my mom's really sick. It's a pretty important day you're at a house, and my mom picked a really bad day to have the flu, right? You know, when you, have, when you have the flu at the worst time, like, man, we're all supposed to go to Disneyland today, and I got the flu. No one wants to be sick at the right time. Now, this isn't a paralyzed, severely tormented, is it? This is not. It says that she was in bed with fever. Well, that sounds like me on Monday in Vero Beach. I mean, the only thing being sick, worse than being sick where you're that sick where you're like a stomach flu is to be alone. That's always tough, and I was. Because when someone's around you, you're moaning, you feel like they can serve you, but if you're by yourself, it's like, and the dogs aren't even here. It's just me moaning between me and the Lord. But to know your grandkids are a block away, the grandkids you only get to see like 14 days a year, and they're three blocks away, and you can't visit them, because you've got a fever and you're super sick. That is a bummer of bummers. And that's how I felt. To, that three of the 15 days I get this year with my grandkids that live in Florida, three of those days I'm in bed and I can't go near them. I was just like, oh, this is the worst. Why do I have to be this sick at this time? Especially when you know you've had a fever. Oh, why? Por qué? You know, like, 
why? You know, like Korean, way, 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 way. Like, why? Like, such a bummer. You know those day-to-day sicknesses? We don't get to choose when we have them, do we? She's sick in bed with a fever. That's the context. But Jesus, without being, there was no record of him being requested to heal her. He just walks over, he touches her, and he heals her. Right? So there's, no, there's not a lot of, you know, drama to this one. It's like, oh, Lord, if you're willing, I worship you. Or, or like, you can say to this and that. No, this is like, hey, my, mom, my mother-in-law is sick, and you're here. And he touches her, and what does it say? She served them. It says that she arose and served them. So let's close with this thought. Because he touched, he touched the leper for testimony. He commended great faith and spoke the word with the centurion. And then with Peter's mother-in-law, he saw her, he touched her, and she served. He saw and she served. Which brings us to this closing thought. Good health is for good service to the Lord. Let me say that again. Good health is for good service to the Lord. We only have so many days on planet Earth in this journey. And we only have so many days in our life where we have good health. We're maybe young and strong and have energy and passion and vision. Or maybe we're older and we have good, good health. I saw Phil Twenty, the pastor at Calvary Coast Mesa. He did a memorial last year. I'm like, man, look at Phil. He's just, he looks like he's maybe in his high 70s or 80s. But he's up there and he's preaching the gospel. And it's, I'm like, yeah, he's going. Good health is for serving the Lord. When Jesus heals us, it's for serving the Lord. If you wake up with good health, it's for serving the Lord. If you've got good health, praise the Lord for good health and serve the Lord. If you're raised up, serve the Lord. Life is for living, and living is for abundant life, and abundant life is for eternal life and the life that matters. Go out in good health and serve the Lord. Count your blessings, make good use of good health, and serve the Lord. Serve others and serve the Lord. Look for good opportunities with good health and serve the Lord. He saw, he healed her, and she served that night on a night when people would come from all over where he delivered them from demons and all would be healed. And he healed her and she served the Lord and was a part of that ministry. Isn't that cool? Yeah. So praise the Lord, WG. You know, all things work together for good, health, sickness. And just know he can do it. Believe he can do it. Hope he'll do it. And if he does it, then give him praise and honor and serve the Lord. If he doesn't, let him comfort you and strengthen you in the valley of what you're going through. If you're severely tormented and paralyzed in a certain way, may you praise the Lord. And with good health, may we serve the Lord. Yes and amen.